as one person follows another, each traveler doing a small part to make the way clear for those who come behind, each person's journey imprinted on the landscape. But then, someone bravely steps off the trail and explores in a new direction. He looks for a new adventure, and his daring beckons others to follow. And step after step, a new trail is formed. Yes, the old trail remains, the paths formed over countless years by numerous travelers. Forgotten? Maybe. Grown over? Perhaps. Yet still so important. These paths tell a story. These paths point the way. These paths lead to places where we need to go. These paths lead to a God that we need to know. These paths are the ancient paths. Life Trails, take your next step. You know, oftentimes when Kelly and I are out hiking, we'll be on a path and it'll be like we're the only ones that are out there and we'll climb up and maybe we'll be up on some high meadow or mountain or whatever like that and we'll look around and I'm like, wow, it just like goes in every direction and it just feels so remote and we feel so isolated. And I'm like, I wonder if anybody has ever been here before. And then I look down and I'm standing on a path, which answers my question. Yes, lots of people have been here before. In fact, hundreds, maybe thousands, because this path has been forged that I'm following. And there's some some security in that too because it's like I'm not worried about getting lost and I'm not worried about you know being out in some place I've never been before and losing my way because I can stick to that path and know that that's going to take me somewhere where I want to go and that is the idea of the ancient paths that we've been talking about a series that we started last week is we can get to new places in our faith and yet we can look down and realize that there are other people who have gone before us. And as we trace these ancient paths, we can go all the way back to the beginning. The beginning of the church, the beginning of this Christian faith that we follow. And we can know that actually as we walk in these paths, we may get to some places that we've never been before. But we can look down and we can look back and we can say, oh, wow. We're just doing what other people have been doing all along, all throughout history for the last centuries, actually for the last millennia, as we follow this thing that we call faith. And so if we follow this path, we can be assured that we can get to some maybe new places in our faith, actually by going back to observe and to examine what other people have done in the past. And so we started this last week and we said we have four objectives as we tackle this uh, sermon series. The first one is this. We want to expose our spiritual complacency. The truth of the matter is that many of us get to the place where we know exactly what we're supposed to do when it comes to Christianity, and, and we know the motions that we're supposed to go through, and we've got the routines down, and so we go through all those things. And sometimes we even like mentally pat ourselves on the back and say, you know what, I think I'm doing okay here. And the question is, are we really, or could we be doing a whole lot more? Could we be making more progress in our, in our spiritual lives? Could we have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ? And so we want to expose our spiritual complacency. 
But we also want to explore our spiritual heritage. And we'll be doing that a little bit again this morning. And we'll continue to do that as we go through the series here. Thirdly, we want to examine some spiritual practices. And these are things that we're pulling from the past that have been somewhat discarded in some circles to say, is there some value to us to practice these and to try these out again? And then fourthly, we want to experience spiritual formation, experience spiritual formation, where we don't just learn what it is that we're supposed to do, but it's where we actually become who God wants us to become until the person of Christ is actually formed in us. Now, spiritual formation takes place in in two different ways. Spiritual formation takes place personally as you pursue Christ in your relationship and maybe employ some spiritual practices, But spiritual formation also takes place corporately. And the primary means that God forms us corporately is through his church. And it's been this way all through history, at least through the history of the church. And we can go there by looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And I'm going to read that this morning. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then catch this next line. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this is the first mention that we have of church in the scriptures. But it's not the first time the concept of church has been presented. And that's evident by the fact that if is these guys hear this statement where Jesus says, hey, you're Peter, and Peter on you, I'm going to build this church, that Peter doesn't say, what's a church? He seemed to have an idea of what it was because Jesus was actually using the Greek word ekklesia, which was a common word back then, and it meant a gathering or an assembly. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, from the very beginning, the concept was it was going to be a coming together of people, a coming together of Christ followers. And that would have been very familiar even to Peter because of his Jewish heritage from the temple worship, from going to the synagogues. And so it was like a new wrinkle on it, but this idea of church was already established. Well, this prophecy that Jesus gave here, that that he would build the church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, had a promise in it and it had a purpose in it. The promise was that the church would be spiritually viable from now this point forward and forever. The church would not be overcome by evil and it would continue on through the ages. And we are sitting here this morning of proof exactly of what Jesus Christ said. The church will not be defeated by evil. And there's a lot of evil in our world, but the church is still going strong today, just as Jesus prophesied would happen. But then he also mentioned that the church of God, when he said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it, it identified one of our core purposes as a church 
And that that's where to take the good news of Jesus Christ into our world and to share the gospel with people and to rescue them from the clutches of hell. And I appreciate Shelby uh, with the, with the uh, sharing time this morning, just updating us on some of the things that are going on here at Waterford Community Church, how we are committed to this, identi- or this idea of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to our world. Well, Jesus predicted this church, and then they just kind of sat on it. Like he said, it's coming, but nobody knew what exactly it was or when it was coming until we get to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we see that the church is established, and in one day, 3,000 people trust Christ. And then we get to the end of Acts chapter 2, we get a description of what this brand new church looks like. And so let me read uh, to you from Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number or he added to their group or to their assembly daily those who were being saved. And again, we get this idea of the church as being what comes together. And here we get some idea too of some of the the, uh, purposes and the functions that the church is supposed to be doing. It talked about the fact that they got together for the apostles' teaching. They were teaching the things that Jesus Christ had taught them. They were teaching the things from the Old Testament where Christ was the fulfillment of that. And I believe they were teaching things that the Holy Spirit was revealing to them. The epistles that we see in the New Testament are evidence of that. And so they were teaching and they were sharing what, and the word I'm going to use here is doctrine. They were fellowshipping. They were breaking bread together. They were eating meals together. And it's not exactly clear whether that just talked about like a big potluck supper after church or if that was actually a reference to the Lord's Supper. And it's probably both in that that the Lord's Supper was part of that feast that they would regularly have together. It talks about prayer and it talks about worship also. And these are purposes of the church. But if you notice here, some of these, pur- these purposes can be divided a little bit into two different categories. Some of these purposes are best fulfilled by what I would call the organic church. That's the church as a people. As we come together in fellowship would be one of those things. Even prayer would be one of those things that as the organic church, those things take place. But we also have the organized church. And that's what's going on here this morning. And in the organized church, we have things like doctrine. We have things like the ordinances, the Lord's Supper, which we'll be celebrating here in a little bit. And we also have worship. And so we are invited to come together as an organized church to worship, to explore the doctrines, to explore the ordinances. And we throw these up here. We see evangelism. We see the word, doctrine. We see the ordinances. And we also see worship as part of our church experience. And I would say this this morning. For a Christ follower, if we're really intent on seeing Christ formed in us, I don't think that we can experience that the way that God wants us to experience that without the, um, the experience of church. 
It's something that God uses as part of our spiritual formation. And I realize that that sounds like pressure. Okay, well, then I have to come to church. Well, that's, that might be true, and that's true for all of us, but that's also a, a pressure for us who are leading. And for me, who stands up front here, is to make sure that these purposes are being fulfilled. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to explore three of these purposes. We want to explore doctrine, we want to explore ordinances, and we want to explore worship by means of an ancient path. And that ancient path that we're going to take this morning is a practice called liturgy. And maybe that term is familiar to you, and maybe that term is not at all familiar to you. On a very, very basic level, liturgy is the order of a worship service. And so technically, we follow a liturgy every week. But when we use the word liturgy, most often we go back and say, oh, that's what those really stiff, stale churches use, you know, that are old school and, and, and really, you know, uh, um, kind of uh, without feeling or without emotion. And that's those procedures that they actually go through as, as part of it. Well, let me just mention a few things about liturgy here this morning, though, that I think will be helpful to us. The first thing is this, that liturgy was actually a very important part of the Old Testament worship. If, if you think about that, there were very strict rules and regulations that the Jews were supposed to follow when they came to the temple to worship. Part of that was to recognize the fact that we have a very holy God and we need to approach him with reverence. Part of that, though, was it was designed to continually tell them that something was coming, and it pointed them to Christ. But liturgy was a part of the Old Testament worship. However, when you get to the New Testament, there's no liturgy prescribed in the New Testament. Now, we have some instances where we're told, here's some of the things that took place as they met together, but there is no prescribed liturgy, which gives us freedom to practice whatever liturgy works best for us. And so many churches then have moved away from formal liturgy because they feel like it's become routine. They feel like it's become rote where people just kind of come in and they sit down and, and this gets said and this gets said and they repeat this back and, and, we, we, and we kind of go through this whole thing and then everybody goes home and it's never had an impact on, on people. And so some churches are like, okay, we're going to be done with some of that formal liturgy because it just becomes feelless, uh, feelingless, heartless, uh, mindless. But the, the same thing could be true for us, too, that we could come in without all of that formal liturgy, and we can just go through the motions and just do our thing, and we can go home on Sunday and, and never have it affect us at all either. The other thing why, or the other reason why churches have moved away from some of this formal liturgy is, is because it's, some people think that's how they become spiritual, so I come to church on Sunday, I go through this with the, the minister who's leading this, I say these things, and I feel like, okay, I have done my spiritual thing for this week. I've, I've said the prayers, or I've, I've you know, quoted scripture with them, and, and they feel like because they've gone through these religious practice or paces, that they're like, okay, I'm good for another week here. Well, that's not the case either, because these are practices that are designed to take us somewhere, and they're designed to take us into worship. So this morning, we're going to use liturgy that focuses on the Word, the Lord's Supper, and worship. But let's talk just a minute before these guys pick us back up here and talk about this idea of worship. Worship, first of all, we were called or created to be worshipers. 
And in worship, we should find our greatest sense of fulfillment. That's why God made us. And when we are worshiping, we are working and acting in congruency with the person that we have been made to be. And so when we worship, we are going to experience a fullness, a part of the human experience that relates to our spiritual experience too. Secondly, worship is more than just singing songs though. A lot of times we say that, well, we're going to worship on Sunday morning. What do we mean by that? We just mean we're going to come and sing. Well, worship is more than singing. In fact, worship may or may not involve singing. And some of our singing on Sunday mornings may not be worship. Because worship is this idea of that we come and we give worth to God. And so when I sing, I am actually singing praise to God and saying, you know what? You are great and I come and I worship. I give worth to you. But it's more than just our singing. It's our prayers. It's our offerings. It's our service. It's the way that we live our lives. It's the way that we make the Bible a priority in our lives. It's a relationship that we maintain with Christ. That is all part of our worship experience. Sometimes I hesitate to call, you know, what we do on Sunday morning is worship because we narrow worship down to this little thing. Worship's a huge thing. This is just part of it that happens here on Sunday morning. But worship, this is really important. Worship is about what we bring. Worship is about what we bring. And a lot of times we're like, I'm going to come to church so what I can get out of church. I can get that encouragement or I can get that fellowship that's so meaningful to me. And I, and I can get some truth that I can go out and apply to life. And we think of church as what I get. But when we come to worship, we come to worship with what we bring. And if we come to church with that thought in mind, we come to say, here's what I have to give. Here's what I have to bring. Here's what I have to offer to God. And so worship is a sacred opportunity, and we should approach it as such, and we should come with a level of expectancy, and we should come with a level of preparation. And I think most of us are probably pretty bad at that. We're Sunday morning where we've taken any time before the service to say, okay, God, I want to get my heart, my mind uh, in tune with where you're going, but that's what we want to do. So worship is designed to focus our attention on who God is who we're not, but who we are becoming in Christ. And so worship is this great God in us as broken, sinful, needy man coming together, not, not bringing God's presence into this place, but bringing an awareness of his presence into this place. And when that happens, we experience or we're meant to experience spiritual formation. Because we focus on a God, and as we turn our focus that way and away from ourselves, some of what, who he is starts to become our focus, and it becomes our heart and our desires and becomes a part of us eventually. And then finally, worship is meant to be communal. We can worship privately, but we should also worship together. And we see that in numerous places throughout the Bible. In fact, many of the Psalms are what? Songs that the people met together to sing and worship to God. And so church forms us. Church forms us through worship. And worship forms us by fixing our eyes on God rather than ourselves. We are formed also through our observation, or excuse me, through the word. And the word forms us by the immersion of our minds and our hearts with truth. And finally, the ordinances, specifically we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper this morning, but they form us 
by reminding us of our identity and of our purpose. Would you pray with me this morning? And then I want to invite you into real worship, hopefully. Heavenly Father, we do worship and praise you for a, being a great God who reaches down to us sinful men through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be aware of your presence this morning in ways that it's been a long time, maybe, but ways that impact us. And we commit ourselves in this service to you as we bring worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.